If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 12. And I'll wait for you if you have paper Bibles or if you want to scroll down to verse 32. Luke 12. We'll start with reading verses 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the word of Jesus thanks be to God would you pray with me Lord please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word that's beyond my thoughts or words or the thoughts or words of anyone here save us today from ourselves God let us not be swallowed up by the dangers of riches, but make us dangerous unto the enemy with our riches for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome again to the Springs. Uh, If you're visiting, my name is Peter, and I serve as the lead pastor. Today, we're doing a special, uh, one special sermon about treasure. If you're visiting, this is the perfect day to be here as we're talking about money. In fact, I want to give you three reasons why I'm excited. I'm going to spend some time telling you why we're unpacking Luke 12, talking about money, and I'm going to tell you three reasons why. I'm delighted to preach about money today because of our danger, because of their joy, and because of His Word. First of all, our danger Money is not just destructive, it's sneaky destructive. It's a unique kind of danger. If you have money and you don't use it rightly, it destroys you. If you don't have money and you long for money, it destroys you. It's uniquely dangerous. And when we go to God's Word, which talks a lot about money... Here's how we, our disposition often is, where we see Jesus and how he warns of the dangers associated with money, and, and there's rich people and there's poor people he's talking about. Almost invariably, most of us think of ourselves as the poor people, and we just couldn't be the rich people that the Bible's talking about when it's talking about money and how we're accountable for that. But let me just help you for a second. Believe it or not, we have the air conditioning on here. You might have had the heater on last night. If you're an American... Uh, or even if you're just in the United States and last night you slept in a building that's equipped with heat and air conditioning and you were transported to this building which is also equipped with heat and air conditioning in some sort of transportation machine, then you are among the 1% of the richest people who have ever walked the planet. This isn't something to be, uh, to be ashamed of but definitely something to be aware of. And here's what we do. The tricky thing that we do is uh, when we're encountered with strong words about money in the Bible, we always conveniently, you know, find people a little bit richer than ourselves to compare ourselves to, to to make uh, the 
the hard and severe parts of the danger of God's word in this area uh, somehow lessened or more palatable for us. This is dangerous. Money is dangerous. This Friday, millions of people are going to wake up at like 2 a.m. for their one opportunity every year to get played by stupidness. And this whole season, I mean, there is statistically more stupidness occurring and more debt accumulated in these next five weeks by Americans than in any other part of the year. And I suppose it would be easier to stand up in front of you and talk about this if I was somehow disconnected from the stupid, but I'm not. In fact, as I've been chewing through uh, what, what I'm going to say out of Luke 12 this week, I've been struggling because I'm a little bit uncomfortable with what it's saying to me. It's dangerous. So like any loving pastor, I, I, I wanted to lure you into my discomfort. Merry Christmas. I preach because of our danger and because of their joy. When I say their I mean those on the outside of the blessing, the eternal blessing of God, and often the oppressed. When the Bible speaks of oppressed people, it's talking about widows and orphans and foreigners, or in in our culture, especially single mothers. I speak unto their joy. The oppressed are in every nation, and these are people that are not simply oppressed with physical poverty, but often the, the state before God in relationship is disconnected as we're all born into. And so there is a poverty of eternal nature and physical nature, and I speak unto their joy. Listen to our Every Nation mission statement, uh, the ministry to which we belong. It says this, We exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. Church, seeing the Spirit of God move in prophetic revival power and being responsible with our resources before God and unto the oppressed these are not two separate objectives. They're united. Social responsibility is gospel fidelity. And so I preach unto their joy. Jesus says, use your money to win friends. It's Luke 16. Write it down. Go look it up later because it seems weird that Jesus would say that. He says, use your money to win friends. If you've been transformed by the power of God, by believing on the gospel, that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from your sin, and no longer because of believing in him are you alienated from God, but Jesus says that you're his friend, his son, based on believing what he has done, then you have eternal riches. And so what he's saying to you and me is to use the finite riches we have 
to enrich those who are eternally impoverished. And if we could use our money that's going to burn in just a few seconds from now to draw someone who is alienated into friendship with God, into salvation, it would be a wise thing to say the least. Use your money to win friends. I preach because of our danger and their joy and for his word. I'm speaking a lot about money, not simply because of the opportune moment in the year, but also because I stand in good company with our risen Christ who spoke about money quite a bit. There are 2,103 mentions in the Bible about money uh, or about our responsibility as believers unto the oppressed. Uh, So let's go through them. Y'all ready? (laughs) Deuteronomy 15.11, For there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in your land. James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Luke chapter 18, a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. I would say it is. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God the Father alone. Uh, In my opinion, Jesus is giving him a hint. Uh, I am good because I am God, and so you should listen to what I'm about to say. Jesus says, you know the commandments, verse 20 of Luke 18, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And this dude says to Jesus, verse 21, all these I have kept from my youth. And so when Jesus heard this, he gave him a sticker. No, he didn't. It says, when he heard this, he said, one thing you still lack Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when this young man heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And it goes on. Jesus didn't chase him down and say, hey, but what I really meant by that was this. No, Jesus, seeing that he became sad, verse 24, said to him, and I suppose everyone else, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Does that sound familiar? This is just four passages. Uh, We've got 2,099 left, so here we go. (laughs) Jesus talks a lot about money. He talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. I just preached about hell. And as I was processing that and as I was processing this, the two messages are comparable in their weightiness. 
because money hits so close to home. It's really where our heart is. Church, if you don't read the Bible and encounter a certain level of discomfort with regards to money, it's because you don't read the Bible. Or you don't let the Bible read you. I preach because of his word and unto their joy and against our own danger. So let's go through this text. Uh, as I unpack chapter 12, uh, a, good portion, a good portion of chapter 12 of Luke, uh, especially the passage we just read, I have two points. Uh, one thing that we just cannot do. And one thing that you need to do with everything you have in this brief moment that we call life. Okay, so first the thing that we don't do. Don't do this. Don't fear. Don't fear. Verse 32 is amazing. Fear not, little flock, Jesus says. For it is your father's good pleasure or delight to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. Fear and anxiety are what drive our deception and destruction oftentimes, especially regarding money. Jesus speaks verses 32 verse through 34, what we started to read, uh, the, our first three verses we read, really as a, uh, as a summary or a conclusion of a lot of teaching he already gave. So with these two points, I actually want to back up to some of the other things Jesus says about these things. Fear not is his conclusion to a whole teaching about fear and anxiety. So if you want to back up with me to verse 22... Jesus says this. He says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on or wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you? Than these birds, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And if then you are not able to do these small things, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they neither grow. Consider the, the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is here today and thrown into the oven tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek the kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. Don't fear. Church, I think most 
of the evils of the world, the evil things that are perpetrated, have an element of fear and anxiety that drive the actions. You can think of, think of one sick and twisted thing that is happening in the world or that's happened that's difficult to process. And I bet I could show you where fear and anxiety play a part in the motive of that action. Whether it's abuse or hateful words or brutality in, inflicted by authorities, fear and anxiety are a part of it almost invariably. We sin against God and we sin against one another and we further our enmity. There's, we are enemies with others, we're enemies with God and our fear makes it worse, causes worse things to happen. And nothing we do makes it better. We continue to fear. We continue to give ourselves reasons to fear. And listen, there's no indication in Scripture that I see from Scripture that the judgment of God is somehow less if the motive is fear than if the motive is like hate or bigotry or something like that. Don't fear. Don't fear. We cause so much evil in the world because of fear, and yet, listen to Jesus' tenderness in these words. Consider the lilies. Consider this. He says, look, I, I know you need these things, but I've got you. I've got you. You, you who by your fear and your actions are making yourself my enemy and you're becoming worse and worse and worse. I've got you. I'll care for you. Would you stop fearing? Do you know it's my good pleasure to help you who are my enemy and who further the enmity with your fear? The tenderness of Jesus is astounding here. I've in the past been anxious about the things that I don't have. Um, I've been anxious about my anxiety. Has anyone else ever? Uh, this year, I found myself being anxious about the things that I do have. Like, God, I have a nice house now. Is that bad? And God comes to me and says, Peter, stop it. Don't fear. Don't be anxious. I give. I take away. Bless me. And hold your blessings with an open hand, but not with anxiety and fear. Use what you have in faith to walk with me and to, to, to multiply love that I've given to you and not fear. Don't fear. Now point two. What do you do? Get rich. Get rich quickly. It's his good pleasure, verse 32, the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's not talking about any earthly kingdom. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. He's talking about the kingdom. Compared to this kingdom, any other lesser thing that you could seek after, mansions, Ferraris, yachts, 
junk that will burn. Not the kind of riches that truly enrich. That's why Jesus is commanding and challenging you. Don't fear. Get rich. Oh, no, no. Not with the riches that they would seek after. With riches. With true riches. It's the Father's good pleasure to give it to you. But you keep settling for so much less. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, Jesus, give us all things? If you seek after earthly wealth, you will wind up with nothing. But if you seek after Jesus, you will wind up with him and everything and more. Seek the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. But it's not just that. He adds to you the things that you need, but more so that it strategically overflows to those who are oppressed and have needs. Don't fear. Get rich. Let's read on in our main verses Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A few things about these, these two verses first. Uh, Notice the correlation between how God is a rich giver with good pleasure. And that correlates to us. If he's a giver, verse 33, we're to be givers too. If we grow in his image, then sell away the lesser dreams. Be like God. Be rich and enriching and be a giver. Be a rich giver like your God. That's verse 32 to verse 33. And next, notice this peculiar passage in uh, three times mentioned in the Bible. Verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's no better diagnostic for where your heart really is than your money. Uh, That's what Jesus says. And therefore, it's right. I mean, how, how do I know where your heart really is. I, I can measure, like, how often do they come to church? How are the, how's their church attendance? Uh, do they go to growth group and church, like, a lot, super consistently? Do they pray a lot? And how deep do they pray? We could judge someone's authenticity by all sorts of things, and Jesus just says, it's your money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can tell me all day how much you love God and you care about the poor. And your sincerity or perceived sincerity matters a lot less than your debit card, which will either declare you a truth teller or a liar. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Notice how it doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure is. That's backwards. As if it were like, God, you know my heart. And you know, like, right now, I don't got much. But when I do, you know my heart, like, I want to put it there. And God says, no, you already have. 
And what you're doing with what you have shows exactly where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. We deceive ourselves. Jesus makes it simple in the realm of diagnostics, of saying where your heart really is. And it's no different in the kingdom of God. Think about it on earth. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If you buy a stock, okay, maybe previously to buying that stock, you didn't really care about that stock, but when you buy that, all of a sudden, that mutual fund, you've got it like uh, email reminders about how that is. You're interested in those mutual funds. All of a sudden, you take interest in the businesses that are associated with that fund. Why? Because your treasure's there and your heart follows. It's no different in the kingdom of God. I make a money investment in a ministry. There's something about my heart that follows that. I'll give you a few more examples. In our student ministry years ago, we used to make poor decisions in uh, paying all the money for conferences for particular students. The students that would go without having to put any of their money and treasure into it and their investment in it, invariably got a lot less out of the experience. Why? Because their treasure wasn't in it and their heart wasn't in it. If you were to go to downtown Austin right now and a homeless person approached you and said, can you buy me a meal? Imagine saying, you know what? I've got something better than that. I'm going to pray for you. How would that prayer go? It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It would be different if you bought that person a meal and then the prayer that followed would be an anointing that would be better received, in my opinion. Why is it different with God? Why do we think, like, God doesn't need a real investment? Well, he doesn't. He wants your heart. And there's anointing on our prayer and our communication with God when he knows that our heart's in it and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Church, before I die, and I don't know how long I have, but I have a desire to continue to be a part of a move of God where people are crying out to the Lord for their neighbor to come to know Jesus. And they're crying out to God and we're praying together and there's a continued multiplied revival. What if God lights on fire this message from his word to break strongholds in our lives that are held back because of money. And someday, some person can say, because you were brave enough to sit through the sanctified discomfort surrounding money, I heard the gospel. I'm praying into that. And guess what? I'm praying with people whose hearts and whose money are into this. I long for revival and a message about what Jesus says about money, that for such a time as this, is exactly what I need, what you need, 
and what they need because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm saying, church, with everything that you have, hold with an open hand because you need to get rich. You need to get rich. How? Jesus says, give it all away. Does Jesus literally mean to sell all your possessions? Or is he saying it figuratively? I'm afraid I can't answer that question for you. With some people, it was yes. With Zacchaeus, he throws out numbers that had previously not been, uh, you know, half, and there's some of the, the numbers that weren't in the Bible. And that was accepted. For you, I don't know. Whatever it is, it requires faith. It requires risk. It, it involves Jesus doing something in your heart that you just can't manage or budget. Let's back up to verse 13 of chapter 12. Jesus is talking about some people who are trying to get rich. And he wants them to really get rich. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit and some powerful teaching. And this, this dude interrupts him in verse 13. It says, someone says, and said in the crowd to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. But he said, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? So here you have a guy who interrupts Jesus' teaching to say, hey, can you help me here? As I was processing this this week, I realized, I, if, I, if this were me and someone had just been cheated out of their inheritance, and think about this, this guy was probably impoverished, he might have been hungry as a result, real suffering as a result of this, right? If this guy came to me and said, hey, tell this guy to help, like, I probably would have been the compassionate pastor, thinking I was the compassionate, and, and probably said, like, Meant, like sympathized with his problem and like stood against his oppressor and stood up for the guy. Jesus saw a bigger oppressor in this man's life than his brother who had cheated him out of his inheritance. Jesus saw a greater danger and he turns in verse 15 to the disciples And he says, be careful, take care, and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. By the way, uh, the author of life has a lot of authority to tell you what life is about. He's about to tell you a story that has everything to do with the purpose of your life. And if you miss the purpose of your life, then the purpose for your money will be wasted. Verse 16, he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. This guy was blessed by God, and he thought he had a storage problem. Verse 18, And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul? You have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, 
fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up for himself treasure and is not rich toward God. Church, get rich. I was listening to a sermon about this passage by the late Martin Luther King Jr. this week, a message entitled, The Man Jesus Called a Fool. Uh, He preached it in 1967. He says this, he says, Jesus called this man a fool because he allowed the means by which he lived to outdistance the ends for which he lived. He allowed his things to cloud up his purpose. The means by which he lived to outdistance the ends for which he lived. The ends for which we live, the purpose of our life is to walk in the light of God, our Savior, blood-bought by his sacrifice and walk in a way that pushes back the darkness And all the things that he gives us are temporary tools for that eternal mission. This man denied the purpose of his life. And when you deny the purpose of your life, then you don't rightly diagnose the problems and you don't ask the right questions with the things that you're given. He disconnected from the purpose of God and he didn't know what his harvest was was for. And when you disconnect from the purposes of God, you're going to ask the wrong questions too about your money and your body and your sexuality and your work and your marriage. You'll ask the wrong questions. And when you ask the wrong questions, you always arrive at the wrong answers. It's not wrong to own things. It's wrong when those things own you. That's what Matt Chandler says, a pastor up in Dallas. It's wrong to be swallowed up by the darkness instead of using the things we have for a moment to push back the darkness. There's no correlation between what you have and where your heart is. It's what you do with what you have that shows where your heart is. It's not a sin to have too much. It's a sin to keep too much, depending on what God calls you specifically to do. It's a sin to fear too much and to therefore hoard instead of investing and risking for kingdom purposes. We seek the kingdom, we seek Jesus, we get rich. So, how? Well, he says specifically here, we give. We give to God. We don't give to God because he needs it. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts to align with his. Being rich toward God doesn't mean uh, enriching God as if he needed something. It's using our, our resources and our time to show that God really is the true riches of our lives. And that enriches ourselves and those around us. See, young people, if you get 
this message while it's still easier to manage when you have less, you have a chance to not waste your life. I speak very seriously. Old people, learn this before it's too late. Get rich. Jesus says to give. Uh, when he says to give, I want to briefly share the difference between what we think about giving, uh, t- the typical kind of evangelical mindset, and, and the lifestyle he's calling us to. Uh, if you've been in the church for a while, you might have heard the, the phrase tithes and offerings. Um, you know, a tithe is 10%, this is the way I understand it, 10% of your income given to your local church. So if you call this church your home, that would be uh, a tithe. Uh, in my opinion, tithing is different than giving because the Bible says that a tithe already belongs to God and you don't give to God something that already belongs to him. But he calls us to be radical givers in that we tithe and we give. Someone says, well, tithing's mostly mentioned in the Old Testament. True, Jesus only mentions tithing once. Paul doesn't even mention it at all. Uh, and when Jesus says it, he's, he, he rebukes the people who thought they were righteous for tithing, right? He says, oh, you, you tithe this, this, and that, but what I want is a life of justice and mercy. He's, he's calling them to a greater thing. So someone might say, well, we're, we're not under the Old Testament law. True. We're on top of the Old Testament law. We stand on it and not below it, and we launch off into a life of riches from there, not under there. So we tithe, and we give. There's offerings to the poor. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now, and if you already have someone uh, in your mind, then on top of your tithe to God, whether it's this church or another church that you're a member of or whatever, I'm going to challenge you to give to this. We have an Every Nation initiative called Serve the World. Uh, This is an opportunity to use what God's given you instead of on Black Friday to use it on something a lot better that lasts with with a way better rebate, okay? Uh, Our Serve the World initiative is to help people from impoverished nations get to our world conference in 2019. Uh, I'm going to mention this availability. I'm going to mention it in the next several weeks. Uh, We're going to do this all again next year. And I want thousands of dollars on top of what we usually bring in for the church expenses and all that. Thousands of dollars to bless people. There are leaders in our movement who were helped to get to a world conference. They came to know the Lord. They were rocked by the kingdom of God. And I know one guy who was helped to get from the Philippines to a conference. And years later, he planted a church in San Diego, California. And hundreds of people have come to know Jesus in San Diego because of that. I am asking you to consider to give to multiplying that story many more times. I'm asking you to consider that. Specific instructions for this. We've made it really simple. 
our tithing and this particular offering is on the same page on our website, thespringstx.org slash giving. Uh, two distinct links are set up for both our regular giving and uh, the Serve the World initiative. What I want you to do is to examine your heart. During this last song, let the Lord minister to you. What if he draws you into a relationship with himself? Some of us, the best way to respond to the word of God today is to start giving money to the church. And I want to tell you, if that's, if that's you, you need to do that. You need to give. It's for your need. Some of you, maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to give yourself to me. Check this out. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's amazing that in this one verse we have a shepherd talking to his flock. We have have a, a rich and generous father giving. And what does he give? That which he has rights over, the very kingdom of God. He is the shepherd, the father, the king, and he gives the kingdom. And what's more magnificent is how he gives. He gives himself away on the cross, raises to new life so that he can give you new life. That's how he gives you the kingdom. Don't take that for granted or get used to it. Some of you, as a result in responding to this message, need to give money. But some of you, Maybe it's revealing your heart doesn't belong to God and he's saying, beloved, give yourself away to me. I've already given myself. I'm already in this. Let's process this. If that's you, don't leave here without praying with someone to receive forgiveness and new life.